Yes, yes, people. This is the Energy Podcast with your host ZBA in the building. I got a very special guest for you tonight, man. Got Mr. Tola Bashir, man. CEO. What up? Supreme Private Jets, Talent Management, and Forex at the moment. What else, man? What else? How you doing, man? Out there in sunny Spain right now? Yeah, do you know what? I'm B, about it. I thought to myself, well, Boris my lock us down and I had the opportunity because I call it the great COVID escape. So I managed to be the night before Boris locked us down. I think it was lockdown two, wasn't it? Lockdown two. So I've been here for a month. Um, literally mm-hmm. been working from here. I've got a nice view. I'm just studying my Forex at the moment. I'm learning the sort of the skill set Forex. So, you know, just trying to apply apply a new skill set to my to my boat, we'll call it that. Fantastic, man. What made you want to go into Forex? Well, um, in actual fact, I mean, I've been thinking about Forex for quite some time, and I sort of um, inquired about the skill set quite a while ago, but I think a few years back, the actual sort of price point is really, really expensive. I think it's about five rounds or two-day course. So I managed to find an excellent platform, mm-hmm. educational platform, um, enables you to learn, you know, the actual skill set from, you know, from A to Z, from beginner to advanced. Yeah. And at the same time, build a network around it as well. For anybody that's like minds like yourself and interested in sort of yeah. learning, learning the new skills. Yeah. Forex is, in my opinion, is, is something that should be considered by most people. Um, if you've got the time and the patience to learn it, then you can play the big boys. So I'm trying to yeah. <laughs> trying to learn how to play the big boys. Um, in terms of what you've learned from that, what do you think is that? So you have two sides of it. Of course, you have the learning, the skill set, and the trading, and then you have the network marketing side of it. What do you think is powerful mm-hmm. about, in particular, the network marketing side of it? Because we network marketing Sorry, is here. Um, what do you think is pow- powerful about the network marketing side of this platform you're learning okay. about? Um, okay, well, good question. Well, I think I think... You know, network marketing had sort of, I don't know, those negative connotations years ago. Mm-hmm. But if anybody sort of knows about network marketing or in the actual business, it's it's grown a lot. It's, it's sort of a business model which is used by, you know, some of the biggest corporations now because that personal that personal touch, that personal relationship between, you know, two individuals, a recommendation from another individual to another individual, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, it's a lot more effective, a lot more powerful. So a lot of companies are using this method for you know, growing their business and growing their network. So it's definitely MLM, multi-level marketing, is definitely um, you know, an industry that's huge. I think it's one of the biggest, biggest business models at the moment. So it's you know, a multi-billion dollar industry anyway. Wow. And it pays out sort of, you know, wow. millions in commissions every month. Wow. Yeah, so that's what I'm in the process of doing, you know, learning the skills of Forex and building a multi-level marketing business. You know, Forex is an industry which you know doesn't sleep. It's twenty-four-seven. It's seven trillion dollars. Money never sleeps. Circulating in, in Forex market every every day, and you know it's accessible to anybody now. It never used to be, but it is now. So, you wow, know, the man. days of job security are, are no more. You know, you know your job security isn't a, well, a thing of the past really, because companies will, you know, they'll they'll cut their losses at the drop of a dime if they had to. So, I think this way, people that you know know how to sort of get money out of the market. Can rest assured, you know, no matter what the sort of economic circumstances are at a particular time, they'll always be able to sort of, you know, make money and stay ahead of the curve. Wow, wow, wow. So, just to go a blast in the past, man. So, where did this all start for you, Tola, man? Well, I'm going to be honest, man. I mean, I sort of, um, I'm, I grew up with my mum. You know, we had a quite, a, you know, we had a good, good sort of family network. My mum, my grandma, my granddad, my two uncles. Um, so yeah, my mum was a sort of a single parent, if you like. And I grew up in an area which was quite cosmopolitan. 
you know, you had a mixed match of everybody, you know, Asian, Blacks, Whites, Greeks. So, you know, I, I grew up with, I, I think that was a really good grounding, actually, because it made you sort of appreciate everybody, mm-hmm. you know. So it wasn't a sort of a, a narrative sort of, segregated or populated one particular community. There are certain areas where there's big communities that sort of particular ethnic genre in there. Mm-hmm. But you know, Camden, Northwest London, Hampstead, Belfast Park, where I actually grew up Belfast Park, very nice neighbourhood. And I went to a multicultural school called Acklin Burley. Okay. You know, so we had every sort of colour, creed and ethnicity in that school. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, you know, my mum, you know, she was she was a teacher herself. Mm-hmm. You know, so she um I'm actually quite glad I went to that school because it gave me a good platform. You know, it's kind of really good at sports, it's really good sporting school. You know, it's quite quite it was quite a liberal school. Yeah. Um Yeah, no worries, man. Yeah. It's quite a liberal school. So um yeah, I mean in regards to my entrepreneurial, I mean I suppose I suppose the major factor was you know, you get to a certain age where you, you know, your parents can't really buy you those 80, 90, 90 pound sneakers. I remember I bought a pair of Adidas. My mum, the last pair of trainers she bought me mm-hmm. was a pair of Adidas New York, I think they were called. And it cost a hundred quid. It was back in the eighties. Wow. So, I mean, I'm 40, I'm <laughs> six now. So, you know, that expensive pair of trainers back in those, I would have been, you know, 12, 13 or something. So I think by the time I got to 14, 15, it was time to kind of just find a way to kind of, you know, get ahead, get ahead of the curve. Remember, I used to do some, you know, part-time door-to-door sales jobs. Yeah. Then, you know, there's in my neighbourhood where we've got everybody has has a way, sort of, you know, to get ahead. And there's certain things people do to get ahead. And you know, I've always been an entrepreneur. I found ways to make money. So not to go too much detail what it was, but you know, at school, I made money at school. I made money after school. Um, You know, I've always been able to make a pound note. You know, not, nothing, you know, I wouldn't sort of do anything that should, you know, it was just, it was just a hustle. I just always had a hustle. I always awesome, had a hustle. Awesome, man, mentality, man. So growing up in Camden, what did that teach you, man? Just like in terms of... The well, it was quite weird because I think my sort of growing up days from 15, I don't know if you remember, you're probably a little bit too young, but... <laughs> okay, do it like that. <laughs> but there was, there was yeah. just, just like the spring 60s, there was a massive movement. It was like when Acid, Acid House came in. I can't even remember the years. It would have been maybe late 80s, early 90s, and that turned into like massive field race. Yeah. How field race. Yeah. So we would travel, like you'd wait for a telephone call, and you know, you'd travel to some mad, I don't know, sort of not forest, some like farmland. There'd be like a massive tent with like 10,000 people all raving, you know, kind of like, I suppose you could sort of, it was similar to the swinging 60s. It was, just, it, was just, it was a movement, it was a tribe, like people from all over the country just meeting up to dance. Dance and get high, basically. Dance and get high and just, you know, kiss, not kiss and cuddle, but kind of embrace each other. That era was really kind of, you know, people appreciated the sort of the connection that you had and you went to a rave and it was all exciting and, you know, you had those little pills that you used to take that used to make you dance all night and give you that lovely feeling. And, um, you know, that oh went, my goodness. That went on, that went on for, that went on for a decade. That went on for a decade. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I was, I was in the mix of, you know, hundreds of thousands of other people in the country that done the same thing on the weekend, you know, the dance weekend away. But at the same time, there was, once again, there's a lot of money to be made in those, those environments. And, um, you know, I was privy to a pound note. So, yeah. you know, as a teenager, you know, I used to make hundreds of pounds, hundreds, I used to thousand pounds, yeah. you know. 
you know, he said lots and lots of money as a teenager. And, you know, it was a good, it was a good decade. You know, we travelled, made a lot of money, made a lot of friends. Yeah. But at the same time, since you, I think, I think like 15, 16, 17, I've been through end of, end of secondary school, through college, through university, all that era started, or went, carried on through that university. That era carried on through university. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm probably into when I first started working in the film industry, in actual fact. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So after um after school, after Ackland Burley, I went to um I don't know to B Tech National. No, I went to Sixth Form. Yeah. William Ellis Sixth Form. William Ellis and Ackland. It's called the, the Swap Consortium. The consortium of I think the three schools: Ackland Burley, William Ellis, and the Santa Union. My phone's blowing up, man. And the, and the Santa Union. No way, man. Um, and let me just let me just let me just tell them I'm on a podcast. I've got my laptop. Oh wow! I hurry up, man. We're recording, bro. We're recording. Oh, I, just, I guess this adds to the authenticity, man. So you people, you've heard so far, man. I just want to just you know lock this down. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Yes, thank you, people, for joining the Energy Podcast, man. So it's your boy Zia in the building. Right. So where was we? So what's last You're talking about you're talking about the film industry, and then you're talking about the hustle and bustle mentality. So, yeah, after Aston Burley, sixth form, mm-hmm. um, I've done a basic media degree. Basic, no, so I've done sixth form, I've done a B, B-Tech National. No, I've done a CPB, that's it, I've done CPB in, in media studies, so a year. Then after that, I went to Holloway College, I think it's called Camden, Camden College? No, North London College is called, on Holloway Road. North London College on Holloway Road. Yeah. I've done a CTBE, and yeah, that was a year course as well. Then after that, I went to university, and I've done a HND in... I think it's um, film production and media studies. Mm-hmm. And I was, my plan was, was to convert it into a a, um, a BA so, in the final year. Because back in those days, H and D, I think you've got an extra year and you can convert it into a BA. Okay, so, so yeah. I was going to go, why, why, the, why the film industry? Why, why the film production? But I don't know. I mean, because I, mean, I think in school I've got an A for R, I've got a B for CDT, and I think I've got two Ds for English and E or something for math. So I just think, you know, I didn't want to do, my, my art teacher in the year, she's definitely doing art A level. Uh-huh. And I'm like, I can't, it's boring, man. I love art. It was the only class I actually went to and didn't say a word. I just concentrated on my art, but it wasn't, it just wasn't me. <laughs> and I think, I always had a love of film. And it's just another option. Yeah. And I thought, yeah, why not? And that kind of now links to what you're doing now with the talent management agency where you're producing, helping well, to produce well, music. Well, what, what, what it's done is, you know, you know, I've always had a sort of a love for love film, video. But having talent scout, I'll come back to talent scout, but having talent scout enabled me to sort of, you know, start sort of getting into that realm again, like media. So, you know, we've got, I've got an artist, we need to do video. So, you know, work on video production and so on and so forth. But, um, yeah, so very quickly, after... Um, yeah, I went to went off. Yeah, went to university. Mm-hmm. Yeah, done a, um, a national. I didn't convert it into the BA. I actually left after the first year. Mm-hmm. And the reason I left because in the film industry, what I found out is you start as a runner anyway. Yeah, you start as a runner anyway. So regardless to yeah, regardless to um, regardless to whether you got a BA, no, sorry, whether you got a degree or not, you know, we all start at the same place. I think, well. 
if I can save myself, you know, a couple of years, I yeah. just, you know, leaving university now and just getting a job in the film industry, then so be it. I might just leave. And plus, in those days, I, you know, I was doing, I was running about all over the streets anyway, trying to hustle mine. I wasn't really focused on on university, and I was, I was wasting my time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, you know, I literally thought this is it. I'm, you know, I'm trying to become a runner. You know, do you know, do you know what a runner is? No, what is that? What is that? Basically, a runner is, is the first step in the film industry. You start to run. It's basically an errand boy, making season copies, okay, okay. show wheels, maintenance stuff. And that sort of stuff. But yeah, that sort of stuff. So basically, it took me, nowhere to I be, it took me a year to get a job in the film industry. I went to every post-production house with my TV, literally dropping them off, and it took, it took forever. Then there's one wow. company called Telecine, based on, um, based on Charlotte Street. Mm-hmm. And by then, I was fed up, mate. I just said, listen, I work enough. I think he said, oh, well, unfortunately, we've got no space at the moment. We'll, we'll let you know as soon as we have. And I've heard that same line so many fucking times. I just said, I said look, give me, the, give me the job. I'll work for nothing. And he sort of looked at me for a while. He thought, wow, okay. He said, no, in actual fact, you know what? I've got a space. And he, he just magically found the fucking job for me. So, yeah, so that was it. I started there with Telecine. With Telecine, it wasn't so much making teas and coffees. It was more like dropping film meals all around Soho. Because mm-hmm. what they done, they actually recorded um, film. They didn't have to do the filming, but they actually done the pre, the copy. They made more copies of things. So if you want, master, they've done masters. I think they've done digital masters. Digital okay. masters. Yeah. I think that's what they like, Digital masters. So, funny enough, they were partners, or they had a sister company right across the road, literally right across the road called Cell Animation. This is on Charlotte Street. Now, mm-hmm. Cell Animation was a, um, a post production house, which, which means they've done all the editing. Mm-hmm. For special effects videos and special effects um, films, things like the Harry, the Henry, the Flame, mm-hmm. and these are sort of um, computerized special effects graphics machines. They're really, really high end, really, really powerful. So that was so they actually poached me. They they said, look, we need to run. Would you like to come and work for us? Well, we spoke to them. They said it's fine. I said, yeah, I'd love to. Mm-hmm. So what happened is I was in the basement, and obviously all the editors and all the clients used to come in, all the advertising agencies, PR companies. <laughs> Whenever they wanted like lunch, me and all the runners would obviously go and get their lunch in Soho and just do dog 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 body jobs really and obviously run, carry on doing sort of film runs and so on and so forth. <clears throat> so I was there for quite a while and they also had just down the road, same company said animation, they also had um, a studio. It was a motion control studio. Mm-hmm. So in actual fact it was the first motion control studio, I think, in Europe. And what a motion control studio is, you know you've got green screen. Yeah, you've got green screen and blue screen. Yeah. So you'd have a, ma- a massive studio with a green screen. And back in those days, they were the only companies, I think in Europe, that had a, a green screen studio. It was that long ago. And they were certainly the only company that had a, a motion control rig. What a motion control rig is, like, it's like it's a computerized camera. So mm-hmm. you can imagine, you're sitting behind, a laptop, sitting behind a laptop, but he's actually controlling this robot. So this robot camera runs, it's a, it's a massive thing, it's called the Cyclops. So the, the base of it is fucking huge. It's got a base, then it's kind of got a body, then it's got like a massive long arm, but at the end of the arm, you've got the camera. Wow, time to change. Come, well, motion, control, motion control now is used in every, every film used motion control. Back in those days, it was used was just for special effect shots. So we would have, like, if you wanted to kind of zoom in onto something, it can do sort of camera movements that a normal camera couldn't do. Yeah, because it's all done by computer coordinates. This, okay, makes, me so, feel, this makes me feel young, man. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually, so I actually went and actually worked in the studio. So my yeah. same thing, you know, kind of in a week. I met Bjork, I met Michael Barrymore, um, George Michael, 
all these people came, used to came to the studio to do, you know, whether it be a Nike deep production or a music video. So, you know, I made a lot of contacts. Yeah. So my role back in those, the same thing, dropping off videos, getting clients at dinner, when we had like, you know, a shoot day, making sure that camera, the cameramen, you know, were, were, you know, where they had to stay, the lighting crew, I used to have to, I used to, have to open up the lighting crew. Yeah. I used to have to paint the bloody blues, paint the blue screens and all that sort of stuff. So, so Tola, you know, I was there for yeah, like, Tola. So, so Tola, what do you think is the most pow- powerful lesson you've learned from that experience, man? In terms of um, organization or networking or people skills? I, I think I'm, I think just being able to kind of, because back in those days, I used to have, you know, little dreadlocks on my head, yeah. you know, so and that, and back in those days, I was one or two people, there's only two black guys in Solo. Yeah. We're, we're both runners. There's no black people in the industry. When I say there's no black people, there's just no black people in the industry. There's me and him. Mm-hmm. And he'd been in it a bit longer than me. So what I learned from that is just really just just to be humble and just learn how to fucking, you know, take orders if you want to do that. Or take, you know, not orders as such, but just learn how to, you know, do what you're after. Yeah, but, and that's pretty yeah. much what a runner is. No to be a doing what you're after. And, but just, just fast-forwarding a little bit. Now, I decided after a little while, because the only sort of, I mean, yeah, that's it. After runner, I became a capper loader. You know what a capper loader is? No idea, man. Capper loader, you know, like in a film, you like take one, take two, you've got a little board. You have to go kicking, kicking. You have to write with the name of the shot, uh, what the shot is on the actual board, and kind of, yeah, and kind of, before every shot, the capper loader will set the scene with a little blackboard. Yeah. So I was a capper loader for a little while, and it was boring. And I didn't want to be a, um, a cameraman because I just I thought I didn't have the patience to sit behind a computer just typing in bloody computer mathematical coordinates for the camera to do. And I thought, fuck that. What I want to be is a PA, which is a producer assistant. So mm-hmm. over like two and a half, three years, I had loads of call sheets. And a call sheet is basically all the information of all the people that were on that production on that day. I had hundreds of them. And before I made my move, I found everybody up to look. I'm leaving. Um, I want to be a PA, and they was yeah, Tola, when you leave, don't worry, we'll give you a job, no problem, no problem, no problem, no problem. Yeah, so, you've heard yeah, that a million times, and you've heard that a million times. Yeah, I'm, no, I'm, I'm leaving, and I started phoning up all these people that said that they would give me a job as a freelancer, mm-hmm. and nobody fucking did. It was absolutely bollocks. I do apologize, excuse me. <laughs> Audience, right. my um, slip of the tongue. But um, yeah, nobody gave me a job. Plus, this one company, yeah, called they were clients of the company I used to work for. We got on pretty well. They called Back to Hobbin Side, and they had a contract with Discovery, and they gave me a six-month contract, yeah, to be a, a PA, a producer assistant. I didn't know what a PA really entailed. A, P, a PA, a producer assistant, is really like being a glorified secretary, yeah. <laughs> but at that time, I come out, I come out of college. Yeah. I got a job in the film industry. I didn't really have any sort of administrational or office skills. Mm-hmm. So I really got to that job and I think we've done we've done a thing for Discovery Animal House thing and Discovery there's two Discovery channels anyway. There's really interesting projects, done some filming, but on the PA side of things I really was you know, I fell short. I didn't put out my debt. So they, they kept to their word, they kept me for six months, they, they paid me well for that six month contract. But you know, I think I was a little bit sort of in over my head. So mm-hmm. I actually left there a little bit disheartened because I think one of the reasons, in all honesty, I really do think one of the reasons I never got a job or got more work, one, because there wasn't very many black people in the industry at that time. Okay. Two, I, you know, I had a lot of clients to get my drift in the film industry. Yeah. And they probably saw me as a black kid. He's really, really nice. He's got dreadlocks, but he, he hustles as well. Um, 
and we didn't really mean it <laughs> when it came down. It didn't really mean it. But funny thing is, one of my one of my clients, he was, he was a Jewish guy. I'm not going to mention his name, but yeah. he was in he was in recruitment, IT recruitment, right? And I used to see these guys all the time. He's come around my house all the time, and I was like, Jonathan, I want to do recruitment. Obviously, I was working in the film industry at that time, maybe earning fifteen grand a year, sixteen grand a year. He was earning like hundred grand a year. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I want those six big salaries. I want to be a recruitment consultant. He's like, Tola, do you know what? You've got all the attributes to be a recruitment consultant. So there's two things you've got to do. What's that, John? <laughs> I loved this story, He's man. Like, you've got to cut your hair. You've got to cut your hair. <laughs> I remember you telling me and this you've story, got, And you've got, you've got um, cut off your goat beard. Got a goat beard. And you've got little piggies on the top of my head, little dreadlocks on the top of my head. Oh, my and I had a goat. The film industry is kind of cool, kind of trendy, like kid and play, all that sort of stuff. Weren't, weren't a big issue. Uh-huh. But in the corporate world, you know, your look is all about your look. Perception, man. So Perception. I, I said to Jonathan, do you know what? F that. If they don't want me for me, <laughs> then I'm not going to work for anybody. Energy, yeah? man. So I was Energy. like, my attitude. And he said, okay, fair enough. So anyway, so I started on the on the journey of trying to become a, a recruitment consultant, yeah? Uh-huh. So I've to loads of places. I must have gone for loads of I can't remember now. I would have gone for loads of interviews. The same, same thing applied. I think it took me the best of the year to get a job. Now, there was one company called Hayes Montrose. I got an interview, uh-huh. okay? And they said, they Wilton Road in Victoria. I remember I bought a brand new suit for it. And it's one of those, I don't know if you've done them before, it's one of those sort of group interviews where you kind of yours it around the table and you do like, you fetch tasks, like just some stupid, just, just really crazy stuff. You know, sort of character building exercises and interactional sort of role plays and all this sort of stuff, yeah. And I remember I smashed it. I literally, I left there thinking I was the best. I was Be I the bull, man. Be the bull in the room. I thought to myself, I'm, oh, I smacked that interview. I literally smacked the piece. I left there with a smile. Mindset, I was like, that night, or the next day, I got a phone call from, from HR saying, I'm oh, sorry, you haven't got the job. Oh. I haven't got the job. Anyway, I, I sat there pondering that for about five years. I thought, F that, I haven't got the job. I picked yeah. up the phone. I don't know how I got, I can't remember how I got to the director, but the guy that interviewed me and done the team team interview, whatever it was, team interview session, um, he was one of the directors. I managed to get hold of him. I can't remember how, but I got hold of him. And I said, listen, mate, you made a big mistake. He said, what do you mean? I said to him, I was the best on that day. And you and you got that, you bloody know it. And yeah. he said, you know what? It's been, it's been bugging me. It's been bugging me since yesterday. You was, was actually the best. You was actually, I said, well, why haven't I got the job then? He said, look, the reason I never gave the job, because look, in the corporate world, the way you look is very important. He said, look, I'll tell you what I'll do. Because you are the best, you're not too bad, and you do deserve a job. And he said, um, I can't, nobody's ever phoned me up. He said, nobody's ever phoned me up. You let him know. He told me that I made, <laughs> I made a mistake. He said, I just can't believe the board of so that, that is testament. That's the sort of person yeah, we want on our team. That's got, crazy. He said, it's never happened to me. In all these years, I've never, ever, nobody's ever done that. He said, what I'll do, I'll give you a month's trial if you cut off your pickies. He didn't say pickies, just cut your hair off <laughs> and shave off your, goat, shave off your goat's beard. I kid you not, I literally ran out of that building. I ran to the bloody barbers. <laughs> I ran to the barbers. I, I could all, I can all imagine like, that, I Monday, Monday morning, grinning down, ready. I'm ready. I breezed through the, um, oh, I breezed through the month of the and I actually officially got the job. So I was actually, my sector was, I was, because um, Hayes Montrose at the time, there was a FTSE 100 company. So it was a massive recruitment company. They've done Hayes Distribution, Hayes Accountancy, Hayes Recruitment, Hayes, there's about six different sort of sectors of Hayes Specialising. I think they're falling out of 100 now. I think they're about 250 
they might even be fifty three fifty now. But back in those days, they were pretty one. They yeah. were the top one hundred companies in the country. So um, yeah, so my sector was um, it wasn't that it was the public sector. I think about gardeners, road sweepers, um, refuse drivers, um, anything that councils needed. Yeah, that's what I'll provide for them. So I never forget my first my first actual um, site visit where I actually had. I took over a desk of somebody else. So we had road sweepers down in Harringay Council. Yeah. So I went down to Harringay Council to speak to them about their requirements and you know what they might need moving forward. <clears throat> I'll never forget, I walked through the door and it's it was an old cockney guy, he must have been in his sixties or maybe late fifties, sixties. I kid you I kid you not, this is exactly what he said to me, right? So listen, is this before you before you, even before hello, he said, Hello, mate. He goes, I used to have a black guy that used to work for me and he used to have dreadlocks. And when I first met him, I thought he was a drug dealer. Oh my god! I thought, I can't man. believe you said that. Because two weeks ago, I had dreadlocks. So if I've come in here so, with dreadlocks, the first thing you'd have thought about me was I'm a drug dealer. So what so, I said to me is kind of, you know, yeah. people do, they do have their con- you know, sort of preconceived notions, ideas. Notions, yeah, preconceived notions yeah, and ideas. Like, now, this one, I'm about 45 now, so I've been like 21. You're talking about 20 years ago. Yeah, you know, so things have changed. Now. People are more liberal, liberal-minded. But back in those days, it's cotton stuff. You know, yeah. So what Jonathan was saying and what my director was saying, the first meeting proved them right. Yeah, yeah, because in the corporate and business, your your appearance is how people perceive you. So I mean, back in those so, days, yeah, back in those, you couldn't get a job with a beard. Job with a beard, you wouldn't get a job with tattoos. That's all changed now. Yeah. But anyway, that that just led a led testament to. Um, what both Jonathan, my mentor, not my mentor, the guy that said I could do recruitment, and my actual director who gave me the job, needs to be clean shaven and look smart. Yeah. Anyway, so, so to, that, to, to, year, yeah, Tola, to, to, one sec. Let, let's just pause for the listeners and break that down a bit. So. Okay, it on. just goes to show the power of perception because humans, we all prejudge. We all look at people, how they're dressing, how they, the, the words they say, not only the actions they take, but more importantly, most importantly, the first impressions are everything, man. So when you walk down the street and you see that homeless man versus that person in a suit, you're already, you're already gauging a picture in your mind before you've already had a conversation with that person. So what do you this think? Wrong, uh, what do you think... So I want to hear your thoughts on the power of perception, man, from those stories you just shared and in the today's world we live in now with social media. So what's the question, Dave? The, pa- the, 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 the power of perception, man. The power of perception from that story you you, you just shared with the listeners in today's age now well, we live in it. social media, man, how we all prejudge. Well, well we've come, we've come, we've, you know, we've, we've come a long way since those days. Yeah. You know, people people still pre preconceive and have pre prejudgments about people before they even met them, which you shouldn't do, but people just they can't help themselves, they just generally do. But you know, I just think it's I think it's important to give everybody a chance, in my opinion, is you know, give everybody a chance to, you know, sh- show the show their personality before, you know, you, you judge them. And mm. you, you can't tell a book by its cover, mm. you know, because certainly can't tell a book by its cover. So yeah, it's unfortunate that happens preconceived, you know, perceptions of people, but just to wear the world. But I don't think it's as bad as it used to be, but it still, it still happens very much. Okay, mad. So as you're saying from there, that story with the Cockney person who said, you should cut your dreads off. Yeah, just to, end that, just to end that little segment of that story off. Anyway, at the end of that year, I actually won an award. <clears throat> right, I won an award uh, being the, Fantastic. won an award being the highest grossing recruitment consultant in my sector, which is um, public sector. Right, so Hayes had a, um, 
they had a massive auditorium. They done a um, what do you call it? It was like a an award ceremony. That's what it was. It was an award ceremony. So all the top billers, so your biller when you, you know your biller when you're recruiting, all the top billers um, won an award. Mm-hmm. And my my prize for my award was um, a weekend trip to Paris for two people. Right. And I never forget it. I, but the funny thing is, they nearly never got me the job, and I end up making more money than anybody else in my sector. So, you know, it proves that you know the young black kids could, could do that shit, man. Fantastic! Standing on the auditorium, looking out to the crowd. I kid you not, Barrett. Looking out to the crowd, yet yeah, there's there about like six hundred people there. I was the only black person That's in the whole crazy. organization. Black I, think, excellence. I kid you not. Black I was the only black person, bro. But the funny thing is, it's quite ironic, yeah. It's Within within a couple of weeks, other black people start coming to the business. I remember back with Gerard. Big up Gerard, man. He's actually still around. He's in Canada so, now. It shows you pioneered the movement, yeah. man. I kid you not. Asians came in. I, I, I opened the door. Well, with Hayes Montrose anyway, I opened the door for other ethnicities to come in. Right? Well, they probably wasn't. Look, this black kid, you know, make us the money. Then it doesn't. It colors, there's colors no issue. You know what I'm saying? And I think I opened the door for others. I really didn't believe I did. But anyway, so I worked for Hayes. Um, I left there because obviously, you know, I was earning a good living, you know, maybe I can't remember the actual, you know, I wasn't earning, I wasn't earning IT recruitment money, yeah, because the pinnacle recruitment is back in those days, IT recruitment, reason being because the salaries those guys demanding were a lot more, which means you've got big commissions. So I tried to get into IT recruitment. I worked for one company, didn't like it. Worked for another company called Aston Carter. And I heard the other day, Aston Carter, they moved from Liverpool Street with their face to the state, and the guy sold something like, I think, close to a billion quid. Close wow. millions anyway. That's a big, that's big exactly. But he sold that company. I worked that for millions. Um, I think the two partners broke up. Anyway, so I got a job with Aston Carter, IT recruitment company. I was, I was doing okay, actually. You know, I was holding my own and had some good friends there. Um, a guy called Jero. Um, who else is there? Jerry is a nice guy. And if I've got agent, I still speak to agent now, so he's managed to catch up again after years not speaking. So now I worked there for a little while, and I actually um, I brought in this massive account. Literally, it's a massive company, massive account. And my team leader literally took that account from me. So mm-hmm. I'll have that, I'll look after it. And I thought she would have kind of, I'd have got some sort of dibs off it, some sort of commissions. But it was just like, it was her account. And, but yeah, you, you find us another one. And I, thought, I was so offended by that. I thought, F you, you work what I did. So I, I actually left there, and I thought, well, just by chance, actually, a friend of mine, I think within that sort of same couple of days when that was going on, I bumped this kid of mine, he went to a friend of mine, he went to my primary school called Jude, and he had just got a um, 15 grand loan from the Printer's Trust. And he thought, yeah, the Printer's Trust, man, they give you money for new businesses. I thought, really? So I can get money for like, starting a business. And I thought, okay, let's do that. Well, let me start a recruitment company. So I called, I started a recruitment company called Interweb Recruitment, which is specialised in the same sector that I was doing in my last job. Where they took that account for me, which was web development. But all when you're like the world of dot com now is a, is a massive thing. But there was a dot com bubble burst. There's a dot com emergence. Yeah. Then the actual bubble burst. And what I mean by the bubble burst, because a lot of these dot com companies back in those days, they were overvalued. Yeah. And there was a massive there was a massive dot com collapse. So there was in my sector that I, in the company I just started, the sector I just started <laughs> working, there was a collapse. It could have been worse timing. Mm-hmm. So I managed to get a, um, a loan from the Pinterest Trust. It was, it was a process. I did like an interview, a couple of interviews. I did a really good um, presentation. And I was, it, was, it was quite a big achievement, actually, to get a, um, a grant from the Pinterest Trust. 
And um, but the thing is, they literally a bit about like a game. Just before I got my grant, they reduced the amount of money that they gave to new startups. So I got like three thousand pounds, so I may got fifteen grand. So by the time I bought my computer, I've done my website and a couple of other bits, I was really sort of floating on thin ice. And I had this one wow. guy, I can't remember his name, it's Nigerian kid, funny enough. He got to a second interview um, at a company called Essential, which is large, a large accountancy company, a large accountancy company. And had he, had he got that job, I think my commission would have been about seven grand, but he never got the job. And yeah, I just got disheartened. But at the same time, I was sort of, I was, you know, I wasn't in the best place. You know, I think I was, I was out partying all the time and things were, it got to stay, obviously I was married, I just had my first kid. Uh, think, how, how, old, how old are you at this time? I would have been, okay, it would have been close to about 28. Okay. I'll start, I'll okay, start. I, think, I think the years of kind of partying and abuse and, you know, acting like a rock star, in all honesty, acting like a rock star and yeah. trying to start a new company at the same time, it, you know, they both weren't conducive conducive to each other. Yeah. I wasn't applying myself properly into that new business. Okay, there was there was there wasn't any work out there, but regardless, you know, I was coming home late and just, you know, I just wasn't in, my, in the best place at that particular yeah. time. So what happened after that? I actually thought, yes, I closed into a recruitment because obviously there's no work. I couldn't get anybody any job. I took another recruitment job in a company. I can't remember what the company was called. I think it was a construction recruitment company as well. I was only there for about a month. And they laid me off. I got maybe done. Not just me, me and a couple of other people. Not not because they performed. I think they their financial book. They couldn't balance their books, and you know they had to sort of trim their fat. And often when I was new, I was on the one to go. But that was at a time, and I'm sorry, I just had Charlie, my daughter. So I was, I was a little bit panicked. I was no job, you know, kind of. Okay, so this and, is point. Yeah, you know, so I phoned up the company that I worked at before, the one with that company that took my big contract and I was like, listen, I need a I need a reference really, really quickly. I need to get another job. And um yeah, they said fine, no problem. But ironically, just before so this this happened on a Thursday, but maybe London on a Thursday, mm -hmm. I called this company on Friday would have been. So the day before Wednesday night I saw this film, quite ironic actually called a film called The Boiler Room with Ben Affleck. Have you seen it? No, I haven't, but I remember you telling me the story, so man. It's about like it's like road trade, it's like Wall Street, it's like the Wolf of Wall Street, okay. it's about that industry. Big short kind of. Broker. Well. Yeah, the, the broker industry, like, you know, the broker industry. I saw this film called The Boiler, Boiler and I thought to myself, you know what, there's a lot of similarities between recruitment and being a, a sort of a stockbroker. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's, there's, there's sort of synergies, there's fast paced, very smartly dressed, on the phone all day, coming up with some slick lines and all that sort of stuff. And I thought, you know what, I'd love to do that job. And just by chance, I got married, well, not by chance, I got married done. And I phoned up. Um, I phoned. I phoned. I phoned up. Um, I phoned up. Yeah, my 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 directors, and they said, yeah. "Yeah, we can give you a reference." And that's all. And I was asking after. Um, I was asking after one of my friends, a guy called Adrian. Mm -hmm. um, I said, "Where's Adrian? And where's um, other guy, Jero?" He said, "Well, Adrian's in Barcelona." Ah, uh, he like, go to Spain. Oh, this is the pinnacle of the story, yeah, people. Listen. Exactly. What he did in Barcelona, I thought to myself. Because my mum's in Barcelona as well. My mum's in Barcelona. And um, yeah, he was doing um, he was doing stocks and shares. And I thought that's really ironic. I saw a film about stocks and shares the night before. But let me just rewind the story back a little while. Because, a coincidence, man. But I think about five years before that, I used to have a time. I think I got a timeshare in Antigua when I was, I think, 19. Yeah, a little studio flat on the beach on Dickinson Bay. Me and my girlfriend used to go 
every year. Mm-hmm. Then we had our first, first kid. Then we upgraded the the villa. We upgraded the time to the studio, and we also got a villa. Mm-hmm. Had, a, had a studio in a villa the last two weeks in August in, in Antigua. And I went every year to Antigua from the age of something like, I think about 18, 19 to about 28, 29. Literally, every, I think I went about 16, 17 years on the bounce. I missed one year. But there was one year that I didn't go. I went to Mexico. Me and my girlfriend went to Mexico. <laughs> well, my girlfriend at the time, then became my wife, went to Mexico. And my mum went to Antigua. Yeah. And what actually happened is, <clears throat> what actually happened is, she, um, when my mum and Roy was on the beach, they used to have these cruise ships that used to come into Antigua every, every week, once a week it was. Somebody that was Spanish had a brain hemorrhage on the actual cruise ship, and the yeah. only person that could actually um, that could speak Spanish on the whole beach was the whole island, meant the whole, the whole island, but on that particular beach, my mum and Rory. Oh, so they wow. actually sort of helped, wow. helped the actual, I don't know, the people on the ship contact the family. I can't remember if she was South American or she was Spanish, but they managed to make contact and let the family know what happened and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. So the following year, when I went back to Antigua, the family who my mum helped, they wanted to pick us up from the airport. Mm-hmm. So they picked me and my wife up in the airport, my girlfriend at the time up in the airport. And the first thing that she saw was me, like, I think I, back in those days, I was a bit of a hothead. You know? I mean, I was a lovely guy, but I, I could switch that time. So I can't remember what happened in the airport, but something happened in the airport. And I came out with smoke coming out my ears, basically. And mm-hmm. this, this is the first impression that this lady saw me. So we got in the car and she said to me, son, you need God. I'm like, listen, I don't need God. I'm not, I'm not religious, so just, just, just leave it as that. Anyway, I think a couple of days later, we went to their house, they cooked us a lovely dinner, and after the dinner, we was obviously leaving, I remember we were standing at the door, we was leaving, saying our goodbyes. She gave me two things. She gave me, um, they are both wrapped up in newspaper, not newspaper, um, wrapped in um, birthday paper or Christmas paper. One yeah. was a Bible, uh-huh. one was another book called How to Be a Better Man. But I never actually knew what the books were. But she told me one of the Bibles, and this is another book. But I didn't actually see the Bible. When I got back to London, I put that Bible in my in my drawer next to my bed. It was there for like five years. I kid you not, it was there for five, five years. years. Look wow. it, but just before I saw the film The Boiler Room, and I got made done that era, and I had my recruitment company, I was slipping. I was slipping. I was slipping because you know, I was partying too much, yeah. taking too many drugs, and not you know not paying attention to the things that are most important. Just to, you know, just acting fool basically. And not sort of, you know, not focused enough to be where I wanted to be. Yeah. Anyway, so it's quite a long story short. I started praying that Bible. She, no, listen, she said something to me. When I was doing that, she said to me, listen, son, you're going to need this one day. I said, what do you mean? She said, you're going to need this one day. Mark my words, you're going to need this one day. And it, it, still, it still rings back to me every wow. day. Because I did. That Bible, it came so... It came, I think all the sort of events that happened to me were because of that Bible. And I'll get to that story in a minute. Now, have you ever heard that thing, the hand of God? The hand of God is like Adam Smith, like the yeah. hand of God behind you, man. He's a capitalist. The hand of God, I've been touched by the hand of God, and I'll tell you why, because when I knew I was slipping, yeah, my wife didn't know, but I had to get the Bible out, I unwrapped it, I got this about a month. I didn't read it, but I, was, I had it under my pillow, and I would just pray, I said, God, God, please, do something. I'm slipping, I can't stop doing what I'm doing, because the money's too good. You know, yeah. work, working alone doesn't pay for my lifestyle. Yeah, something's got to change. Yeah. You've got to do something. So what he done, he made me watch the boiler room. Yeah, he made me lose my job the next day. Wow. I don't have to phone the company that I, that I called up for. I used to work up for for reference. And Adrian was in Barcelona. Yeah. And in all honesty, from where I was a bit messy, there's only one place in the world I could have gone at that first time to get my head straight and fix up. Barcelona. Roll my, up with my mum. So he was in Barcelona. 
doing a job about a film that I saw the other day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and my mum was in Barcelona. So if he was in, he could have been in any other country in the world and it wouldn't have worked. So I had to watch the film. I had to lose my job. Adrian had to be in Barcelona <laughs> doing what I saw in the film. All those, all, those, all those events were, were strategically put in place by God. I kid you not. He made all those things happen. I prayed, 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 I prayed about a month <laughs> and a half. He shows you the lessons, man. This Lord. <laughs> he, he, obviously, you know, if I hadn't lost my job, the circumstances wouldn't have been the same. If I hadn't seen that film, the circumstances wouldn't have been the yeah. same. If Adrian wasn't in Barcelona, all those things had to be perfectly in place for the outcome to be what it, what it was. People. So anyway, it's quite long story short. People, I phone up Adrian. He's like, yeah, man, I'm in Barcelona. I said, how close to what you're doing is to the boiler room. He just laughed. He just chuckled at me. And he said, look, just come for an interview. So I went to Spain, went to Barcelona on an interview. Obviously, my mum was there. And I'm here. You know, I've got the job. And he said, yeah, you're, you're a stockbroker. And I thought, yeah, wicked stockbroker. But to be a, a proper qualified stockbroker, you need a license. So this is sort of, I think, playing in the grey area. Yeah, playing in the grey area. So the company, there was two, there was two made companies in mm-hmm. Spain back in those days. And um, I worked at one of them. And yeah, you know, I had a good in Spain. We, we made a lot of money. And I worked for this company for a little while. Then the guy, actually, the guy who owned the company, he was actually responsible for bringing down the Bank of Thailand. I can't mention his name, but, you know, he had all these sort of operations around the world, and I worked at one of them. And, you know, that company I worked at was making a lot of money. It was selling what they call penny shares. Yeah. yeah, penny shares of companies which were... I think they were already floated, but they they were, they were small cap. They were really small cap companies. They weren't really operating very much. But you would talk that company up to the nine. You say, "Oh, this company's like, yeah, it's brilliant," but really, you know, the company's not really doing very much. Yeah, and everybody all over the world is selling, you know, penny stocks, which were basic companies. They were shit. They're a small cap company. The chances are they'll never do anything. You know, probably never amount to anything. But obviously, when you're telling somebody that you want to invest, in, you're, you know, you'll talk that company up. Obviously, you talk the company. But anyway, yeah, it was to start. It was start of it all. You know, had a really good inning in Spain. You know, that particular company made a lot of money there. Then I went on to, um, yeah, I think actually no, this guy Rakesh, he owed. He, he basically, yeah, he didn't pay anybody in mm-hmm. the company. He just closed the company down. I remember it was, it was December. It was December two thousand and. 2003, I think my wife and Shadi, my daughter, was coming over, and I think he knocked he knocked everybody. My my monthly salary, my commission for that month was about 15 grand. I yeah. had no money. I literally had no money, and I had my kids and that coming over that month, and I was panicking. So, one of the team leaders from that company, he said, "Look, don't worry. Look, I'm I'm setting up my own. We used to call them floors, sales floors. I'm setting up my own sales floor. And you can now come and work for me." Mm-hmm. He said, "Bring some of your boys along." So some of the guys that you know I was on the floor, that thought, well, you know. Why don't we all go and work for this guy H? So we did. We went and worked for H. And funny enough, it was actually the, the office that we found was literally across the road from where I was living at the time. I think there's about seven of us in this little little cells where you couldn't swing a cat in there. You literally couldn't swing a cat in the cells. That's how small it was. Wow. But um, yeah, we were we were banging out deals, and I think you know, not blowing my own trumpet, but I was really the one that was holding up the floor. I was in the most deals, and the guy. We used to call them stock providers. I can't remember what we were selling, what the product was. I can't remember what it was. I haven't got a clue. Um, the stock provider was sending me personal DMs, saying, oh, thank you. If it wasn't for you, you know, da 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 da, da. Pardon my face, basically, you know, stocking my you-know-what face. That's what he was doing. And it's in appreciation, in appreciation. 
Yeah. And um, anyway, this guy H, who's the team leader, said, "Look, I'm, I'm bringing my my partner into the company. His name his name's Monty. We used to call him Danger Mouse. He used to look like a little rat, a little small little chap. But he's walked like he's a little bad man, but sticking to that chest. You know, when those guys kind of like I call a small man syndrome. Yeah. They're really short, but they act really big. <laughs> yeah, yeah, small man syndrome. Uh, and he goes, listen, now that I'm here, your commission is going down to ten percent." Wow. Or something weird. I think it was getting 15% and down uh-huh. to 10%. And I thought, we all thought you cheeky little, you know what? <laughs> and um, I suppose this guy's a legend. He's meant to be a legend in the industry. And, you know, we was all on the phone and I was still out doing more deals with him. I thought, yeah, he's a bloody legend. I'm as good as you. Anyway, so I thought, I just said, boy, listen, let's, let's give these lot a, an opportunity to give our five points back. Put our points back up from 10%, back up to 15%. And I said, look, the guy who... H gets his, his product bump, he's been DMing me. I know for a fact I've got this guy in my pocket. Mm-hmm. Right, so let me preempt it. I'm going to tell this guy what's happened. And I'm going to say, unless they do give us a point that we're going to leave. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm going to take the whole team, I'm going to take, I'm going to take the whole team with me. Yeah. Um, Phone's still blowing up, man. The, Jeez, busy man, fam. <laughs> yeah, I'm going, to take the, I'm going to take the whole team with me. So anyway, we, we, put, it, we put it to them. Uh-huh. And they said, no, 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 you're, you're not getting those points back, you know, like, like a lump it. Well, they didn't know that I'd always set up a coup. I set up a coup. The people that you're getting your business from, I'm, I'm now taking that guy and I'm taking the team as well. So I've done that. So basically, the deal that I set up with the guy, I said, listen, I'm going to bring the whole team. You put me in office. Yeah, let me, let me work for you. And mm-hmm. once I've made a certain amount of money, would you let me go and set me up in my own office? So that's exactly what we've done. So, you know, I worked from six, seven months. You know, we got that, that target that he asked me to get to. Then he gave me my own office. He said, it's my office, but um, obviously I've got my product from him. Okay, so we, we renegotiated the percentages that we used to have. And, um, and that's where it all started. From there, I remember my office, my office manager, a guy called M. He was, because um, I was a good salesman, but he used to be an official stockbroker. He worked at Cantor's Shells, like an investment bank. So he had all the sort of the technical attributes that I never had. I had the sales skills, and he, would have, he had all the technical attributes. Mm-hmm. So we started this company, and amazingly, literally within a week of starting, this guy called Steve from America, I'm not going to mention his company now, but he contacted us and said, Look, I know this car company mm-hmm. um, that are looking to raise money. They want to manufacture this sports car. But I need about two million quid to do so. Do you reckon you could raise the money? And we said, Yeah, of course we could. So they actually flew me and M out to um out to New York. <laughs> they put us up in the Hilton the Hilton Marriott in Times Square. <laughs> I think we were there for about a week. Um yeah, picked us up in the limo and we went to, we went to the factory where they were making the prototype, saw the prototype. We actually took the prototype to the famous hotel. Oh, I can't remember what it's called now. A really, really famous hotel in New York. We parked the car outside, literally we stopped traffic that often. We literally stopped traffic. Then, yeah, we came back and, you know, we were working on that for like two, three years, raising money. And anyway, that was like the Barcelona day. It was, it was a crazy, it was a crazy life, you know, loads of money, loads of action, loads yeah. of parties, loads of fun. Yeah. And now... It was, it, was an exceptional, it was an exceptional time. Then we came back. I came back, actually, about seven years ago. Uh-huh. And uh, funny enough, it was kind of, it was, it, you know, went out there, made loads of money, had loads of enterprises, and came back broke. Literally, one of those ones. Kind of came back with my tail between my legs. Like shit, you know. If I played my hard life, and I what, probably have never worked again. Yeah. But you know, kind of my thing is money. I've never money management. It's something I'm learning now. In actual fact, you know, like being financially literate. Yeah, people think that they're financially literate, but in actual fact, a lot of people are financially illiterate because 
the way I went through money showed me that I had no financial literacy. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, a lot of this is about compounding. You compound your money, mm-hmm. risk management, mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. Yeah, that's how rich people stay ahead of the curve. Yeah. And people that just don't have a blind eye to where they're spending their money and how they're spending their money. And, uh, is their money an asset? Is yeah. their money growing for them? Will they just spend their money? You know, tend to kind of find themselves back to square one again. Yeah. And that was literally the case. You know, my, my wife and my kids, I think more so my wife is fed up of, of me, probably, and my crazy lifestyle. And, um, you know, we had a big house, swimming pool. I had a gym in the garden. I had a market. I had every fruit you could ever imagine in my garden. It was, it was, I used to call it the um, cat of the blanket. We had five bedrooms, three floors. It was, it was a super house. I think after, you know, 11 years, you know, she didn't work for 11 years. And she started, well, we started a company for called Discover BCN. Yeah. But it was a difficult time at that time. The housing prices were down. Yeah. Jobs were scarce. Business was scarce. Things fast on went for a bit of a crisis. So, you know, yeah. that company didn't really take off. Yeah. Um, and I think I had, she always, she always used to say to me, she always used to say to me, you can't have multiple businesses. I had, like, I had a hairstyle, I had this, I had that. And, you know, so many different companies. Some were working, some were bleeding money. Yeah. But, you know, if I could do it again, I would have concentrated maybe on a couple of them. And just yeah, go all in. Yeah, build up those. Not all in on everything because yeah. you, you can't make every business successful. I mean, they exactly. do say you know you have to have multiple, multiple levels of um, of income streams, but I think you have to let some of them work before you start others. I have yeah. loads of so, staff yeah. up all at the same time. So build that first um, pie anyways, before you build other pies, man. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty much, pretty much. So they, then, I think it's yeah. Olympic. What a, and then into Supreme Private Jets. Yeah, so basically the private jet. I'm gonna fast forward a little bit. I came back to London. Um, I worked at. Uh, went back into work, working for somebody out in a brokerage. Um, it's quite funny actually because I was, I was back doing what I was doing previously, which is totally fine. But back in those days, I I was the boss. I was now working for somebody out in the city. You know, it's just a bit, it's just a bit ironic. Kind of a few months ago or a, few, a year ago, this is me. Now I'm back working for somebody. Anyway, so yeah, I worked. I worked um, in that company for a while. The guy, one of the guys that worked there, he had this plan to set up a, a private jet company. Mm-hmm. And he, that's what he did. He set up a private jet company. And yeah. he said, I want you to come over as my investment relations director, which I did. And I was raising capital for his business. And he was just, I don't want to sort of speak badly, but he wasn't putting it in the right places. Yeah. And the company wasn't going anywhere. We'd done, we'd done no charters. We went to no business development meetings. We'd done nothing. I think, you know, in all honesty, I think he just used the fact that he had a private jet company to pull, no, I kid you not, to pull girls. That, that, was, that was why he had it, to pull girls. That's what he cared about. Wow. Really, was not being being that child of big potatoes. But I thought to myself, you know what, there's, there's actually a nucleus of a really good business here. Yeah. And obviously you, you, you give me the, the, the skills, you, you taught me the stuff I need to know. I can now take this knowledge and develop it and turn it into something bigger. Because, that's what I've done. Yeah. Uh, you know, so right now, right now you're based in, you're, I believe you're... Mayfair. Mayfair, Mayfair. and you go what, run, branches in Dubai yeah, and New York and Dubai. LA? No, New York and LA, you know, they're on they're on the drawing board. But okay. let's not forget, you know, we we are, you know, we're we're still in comparison to some of the big boys. Supreme Jet is still a company which has got a lot of growth to do, which is which is good. Yeah. You know, we 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 managed to sustain ourselves all through you know, when I started till now. We're still in business. I'm still doing charters. Um, you know, it's not it's not, it's not easy, especially in, in the climate that we're in now. Um, people still plan private jets, don't get me wrong, a lot of people are still flying private jets, but I'm not doing as much charters as I would have liked to, mainly because, you know, not, not as many people are flying. And those that are flying, you know, probably go to their, their usual company, which are the, the bigger companies. All, all my actual, my nucleus of clients that I've got are very good to me. They, they come back whenever they want a jet, which is good. 
but there's still a lot more growth. You know, we've got 2021 going to be a growth year for Free Jets. We're doing a lot more chances, a lot more marketing. Um, we're going to be delving into new areas, West Africa, um, wow. LA. So um, I've got contact waiting for me to get there and start the building. That, man. We'd, love, we'd love to see it, man. Dubai. You know, we've already got presence in Dubai, but I need to do a little bit more work in Dubai. Add to the, you know, add to the, you know, the staff, yeah. add to the team. Yeah, we're looking forward to what, so what? So what's it like? So what's it like setting up a business like that, man? Like, of course, you've gone through well, the pitfalls, the failures. Well, I mean, I've, I've, I've set up quite a few businesses, in all honesty. Yeah. Um, it's, it's quite enjoyable. It's one of the best parts. It's the setup of it. It's, you know, because obviously using a lot of your imagination, you know, how you envisage your company to be and what you need to do to get to where you want to be. Um, but I think a lot of the time, kind of, the other things I had when I was younger, I just, I just done it on instant, set up on instant, didn't necessarily have, you know, massive ex- experience in that particular field. Obviously, when I set my recruitment company, it was yeah. just bad luck. You know, the sector I specialised in, there was no work in it. But yeah. you know, I was, I was sort of a qualified and an accredited, apart from my certification and my exam, be it an accredited recruitment consultant. So, you know, had it been another sector, I would have that would have worked. Um, things like when I set up the hairdressers. I'd have set it up going to the next business. And the same business I set up at the time was maybe, you know, it was a bit of a, you know, a, bit of a slap that. So, you know, if you can set up a business, make sure it's, it's something you're happy to stick with. Yeah. Something that you, wanna, you, know, you really, really want to yeah. grow. And that you're, something that you're passionate about. Uh, and, you know, yeah. the hairdressers. From- yeah, yeah. And one question is rewinding back to leaving university, man. What's something you would tell your younger self before getting into the business world? One lesson. One gem. So can you repeat that, B? I do apologize, Connie. Say that again. Yeah. So rewinding, going back in time. Yeah. After university, yeah. man, you're you're about to really go into the business world, man. What's one lesson you would tell your younger self? One precious gem. And you know what? One thing I will say, and I think it's very important, yeah, is tenacity. Tenacity. Yeah. You have to be. I'm not saying I don't think sort of, you know, gender or you know, color or anything into it, but. You know, sometimes you are a minority in life and you need to be tenacious, you need to be thick-skinned. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, you're, seriously, everybody, everybody's capable of greatness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just need the opportunity to do that. And if you believe in yourself enough, you can, you can move mountains, you literally can. And I, you know, I proved that to myself a number of times. Well, I, I was determined to get a job in the crew and I've done it. I was determined to get a job in, you know, the film industry and I've done it. I had my obstacles, both of them, I had my obstacles, but I didn't let those obstacles get in my way. I'll by hook or by crook, I'm yeah. going to keep going. Um, and there's a great, there's a great... Keep it moving, name. man. Keep Where's it moving. Where's Brown? Where's Brown? He's a great mentor. And they, he um, he speaks all over the world, but his first disc, jo- disc jockey job, he told the story of how he got the job. He literally went back to the same radio station every day. And the guy said, wasn't you here yesterday? He said, yeah, but I'm, I'm here today because I thought there might be something else. Somebody like, I'm here today because I thought somebody might be fired. And he came out the next day, he's like, I'm here because I thought something might be sick. So he kept coming back to the guy. I was so sick of him. He said, look, you know, just come. Don't get me caught. <laughs> persistence the, wins, so, man. Tenacity, persistence conquers resistance. It really does. So if somebody says to you no, and it's something you're really passionate about, don't take that no as no. Don't give up. I mean, the thing, you know, there's been loads of people like singers and mm-hmm. you know, sports people that have been told you're not good enough. But they knew in, deep down inside themselves that they were good enough. And they weren't going to take that sort of that comment by that individual to sort of dampen their dreams. Yeah, so don't ever let anybody throw fire on your dreams. You Have thick skin, business, man. Be able to accept no. Just go, 
just go, just go for it and you know just, just keep striving for greatness don't don't let people knock you back man man Tola bro it's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast man right man likewise man it's been a pleasure man so what's next for you what's next oh, 20, 2020 man 2020. what's next I'd say 2021 next 2020 man. is uh, I'm gonna keep building my network in this um, educational platform learn the trading skill set Look out for Supreme Jets. We've got some big things coming. Jeez, plug um, it, plug it there. What's the social media for the and people? What's the social media for Supreme yeah. Jets? Right. Instagram is Supreme Jet Services. Yeah, and feel free to plug yourself. So, yeah, check us out. So, yeah, we're going to be doing some big things this year. Um, a lot more marketing, trying to get a lot more clients on board. Just, just keep it moving. I always say, you know, be, keep, it all I can do is keep it moving. Keep it moving. Just That's what you told me, man. Find a way around those obstacles and just, just keep it moving. You know, and eventually, you know, you'll, you know, what's what that saying? If you if you reach the stars, you hit the moon. If you hit the moon, you reach the stars. <laughs> keep, 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 Pop specs at that keep too. Keep pushing yeah, those back. Keep striving. That's all I can say. Man, it's been an absolute pleasure, people. This has been the Energy Thanks. Podcast. No worries, no, man. No, no, all love. Man. Anytime, bro. All love, man. Love, bro. This has been the yeah. Energy Podcast. This has been the energy podcast. You can support this podcast. <laughs> Bring the energy, man. <laughs> you can support this podcast by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or sharing it with someone who can gain some value from this. This has been your boy ZBA. Of course, man, I will do. Peace out, my people. Enjoy more blessings, more happiness, more greatness. Keep it moving.